0: A new series for the next several weeks, all the way through March 31st, called What is Love? A study of 1 Corinthians 13. And uh, excited about that. I know you are excited also. And let me read 1 Corinthians 13 and then pray for us. 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clinging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part; then I shall fully know, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Let's pray. Our God, you who are love, we come before you this morning, during this ABF hour, and we are thankful that we have the opportunity for several weeks to study your word here in First Corinthians 13, and in particular to study love, the topic of love, but most importantly, Lord, the person of love. You, God, you are love, and you've given us your Son, Jesus Christ, who is love incarnate, and we are thankful that we have known him, we're thankful that we have been known by him, we pray lord that our time this morning and throughout this series will be edifying that it will glorify you and that we would that the elders and I would accurately portray what love is and how it's demonstrated and and how it points to Christ and how we are motivated by Christ lord help us also to be mutually encouraged to to demonstrate love to one another in Christ's name I pray amen so a couple years ago, maybe two and a half years ago, I'm not sure, we went through First Corinthians in the ABF hour, and I had a couple, I think it was just one one week in 1 Corinthians 13, and I thought it'd be appropriate for us in our, our congregation this time to dig deeper into the, the topic of love. Uh, love is a huge category, obviously. We love love. We love to talk about love, we say we love things and people, and sometimes we are a little loose with the word love, and I think it's time for us to consider this topic, uh, and then not just to consider it, but to be shaped by Christ in the Spirit, that we might demonstrate love to one another more and more. I think everyone can agree that everyone here can grow in Love, love for the Lord, and love for one another. So that's one of the aims here in this study. And I'm thankful that the elders uh, and I will, uh, the elders will join me in, in teaching this topic, this chapter. Now, we're not going to necessarily unravel all the mysteries in this short chapter. You see, there are a couple sections, or a couple verses that are particularly challenging and you say "Oh, I wonder what that means well hopefully there will be some clarity but uh, the focus is really on the attributes of love but you see in the schedule we're going to get our bearings here what love is and then next week we'll see the supremacy of love and towards the very end it's permanence. Uh, but then most of the series is on the attributes of love taking one or two positive or negative attributes of love and just digging deep into it. If you had to define love, and you, you can't look at the handout. I'm not sure I gave a working definition on that handout, but uh, did I give a working definition? Okay, good. Uh, if you had to define love, so you're, in, you're walking, you're in a dark alley, and out comes this this thug, and he's got a gun to your head, and he says, define love or else, okay? Very <laughs> contradictory to love at the moment, obviously, but if you, if you had to define love, how would you define it? How would you describe it to this thug who has gun to your head? Kindness. Kindness, Okay.
1: Wanting the best for others, or for the person that you love, wanting their good and...
0: Okay. Wanting the best or good for another.
1: There's some 90's song that
0: says, love is not a feeling, it's an act of your will. Love is not a feeling, it's an act of your will. will. This is not the one that's been footnoted, right? To follow up on that,
2: love love is an action. An action, okay.
0: It's also something that's desired. Something that is desired, as in people desire love. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So we can say it's desirable.
3: Well, that Definition, yeah. You didn't like desirable, did you? Well, that the connotation there is that it is good, uh-huh. right? Number one. Yep. But what I'm saying is, is the people desire to be loved.
0: Yes. yes.
3: Okay. Do you see what I'm saying? So it's, you know, so it is good. Okay. Yes. It's desirable to have love between people. Right, but people desire to have love given to them.
0: Yes, they, they want to be loved. It's also something
3: that, uh, you know, it's probably not until you're very mature that you realize that you, the, the more you give love away, the more you get love back. So it's a, it's a, um,
0: so uh what? Like an investment? I don't know, it pays dividends, uh, no. it's a, it's a circular
3: it's a circular uh being if you
0: would. Uh, circular blessing?
2: Yeah. Huh? Guess another thing is love is a commitment.
0: Okay. So if I say I love my chicken, Daquan, I mean, who, wouldn't? who wouldn't? Right? <laughs> who would not even think dare think. think about eating her, Daquan? Okay, right. So if I say I love I love my chicken, Daquan, is that the same thing as saying I love my wife, Elizabeth? We'd hook up, right? <laughs> sure, <hope not>. Am <laughs> 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 I saying I really want the, the best for?
2: Well, but we don't want any harm to come. I know uh, it's just a chicken, but you don't want anything bad to happen. It's like when you have a pet dog or a pet uh, fish or, or my daughter's at the gerbils. They love them. They, didn't want anything, they were cute and they didn't want anything bad to happen. Right. But, mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. If I say, I love the San Francisco Giants, <laughs> am I seeking their good? Uh, what am I communicating when I say, no, I love X baseball team, ba- basketball team, whatever. Go Jayhawks. You support them. Support them, okay? With viewing their play, maybe paying for their gear. Uh, Okay? Going to games, yeah. Spreading the word. Have you seen the giants? Okay.
2: Well, it also expresses that it brings you some type of happiness or joy. Uh Uh-huh. There's delight.
0: In that? Mac, what's your favorite food dish? Or one of your favorite food dishes? I uh, like blackened chicken Alfredo. Nice. Blackened chicken Alfredo, okay. Yes. Would you say that you love blackened chicken Alfredo? Yeah, I'd probably say that. Okay, so Mac <laughs> loves blackened chicken Alfredo. That's a good, it's a good thing to love. But what's he communicating when he says he loves blackened chicken Alfredo? He enjoys eating it. He enjoys eating it? Okay. But not just enjoys eating it. He enjoys eating it more than, say, chicken wild rice soup. I don't know. Or maybe you don't. Maybe you think that soup is better than blackened ch- chicken alfredo. You're not I don't eat about anything. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but there are some things, some dishes that you prefer to others, and you get really excited about when it's before you. So, there's a, when we say love, there's a heightened delight in whatever that person or thing is. Okay. When Jesus says to love our enemies, is there a delight in them? I'm so excited to be around them. I just look for more opportunities to be hated by them. Because uh, I know that when I'm hated by them, I'm, I'm blessed by Jesus. So,. I really want to spend as much time around them as possible. What, what's Jesus getting at when he's saying, love your enemies?
2: Well, one thing he's getting at, we should want the best for our enemies, which is for them to know Christ. Okay. Um, um, and if we hate them, well, we're not going to be then wanting to pray for them and share the gospel with them.
0: Yeah. So, wanting the best for them, which is the gospel of Christ, who is Jesus Christ himself, Well, let's look at the handout there. Uh, Thanks for those answers. Uh, Some of this lesson is going to burst some bubbles uh, to disabuse us of some false notions of love. And the first bubble to burst uh, was produced by uh, C.S. Lewis in his book, The Four Loves, okay? I'm not saying he's entirely wrong in his thesis, but he spends... The book is about distinguishing kinds of love that the ancient Greeks used. Uh, Two of those terms were used in the New Testament. Other terms were used by, uh, you know, men like uh, Plato and Aristotle. But he he explains four kinds of love. There's the eros love, we get the word erotic from that, and eros means the desire and the delight that one has for another, typically of sexual kind. So one that spouses would have for one another. There is then storge, uh, which he believes is is typically uh, used of family affection, the love that you have for your family. That close-knit familial love is storge. Then there's philia, which is friendship love. And I love you as a friend. Worst words that uh, a, a suitor could, could hear from a woman. I love you, but only as a friend. Uh, but <laughs> friends love each other, and, and um, David and Jonathan had great love for one another. So, well, that's, that's a great love of a friend, and I know some people, like uh, the, the LGBTQ uh, movement has tried to get those to uh, to express... Uh, expressing the erotic love. that's sad. Then there's also the agape love. And if, if you knew any word for love, it's this one, isn't it? Agape? Um, that, that it's charity or it's the unconditional love that God has for us and that we ought to have for God and for one another. That's the, the highest version of love. Now, the words eros and sorge are not really used in the Old Testament or the New Testament. Uh, But philia is, uh, in fact, it it used to mean, um, it it used to have just a word for kissing. Philo was to kiss. But around the New Testament time, it came to, uh, it, it lost that sense in most of its uses. How is phileo used? How is phileo, the verb, used? Well, sometimes the word is used to speak of loving what should not be loved. Matthew 6, verse 5, uh, has the hypocrites, they love to stand and pray in public. And why do they love to stand and pray in public? That they because might be was about them it was about them yeah they, they yes. might be seen was about the
3: prayer that they were giving to God right about their damaged demonstra demonstration of how
0: yes people. right it wasn't uh, and Jesus is not saying you shouldn't stand and pray in public yeah. I'm going to be standing and praying in public several times in about an hour that's not what Jesus is going against he's going against the hypocrisy mm-hmm. people who love to be seen and love to demonstrate their spiritual eliteness, if you will, through their prayers. But they love that, and they shouldn't love that. They follow that. Matthew 28, or 23, verse 6, the scribes and the Pharisees love places of honor. Mm-hmm. Or Revelation 22, verse 15, this word is used to describe how evildoers love lies. You shouldn't love lies. You shouldn't love places of honor. You shouldn't love to stand and pray in public and be seen sometimes this word is used to speak of how we normally understand the word agape. So it takes on that unconditional love connotation. Revelation 3.19 says that the Lord loves his people. And one way that he demonstrates his love for his people is by chastening them, by disciplining them. In John 5, verse 20, this word phileo, or philia, is used to speak of the Father's love for the Son. That's noteworthy, because if we're, if we're just going to put all of uh, the uses of philia into a particular box, and say, well, it's just the friendship love, and the Father's saying to the Son, well, I love you, but only as a friend, not really as family. That's not what he's communicating. In John 16, verse 27, it says that the Father loves the disciples of his Son, and so the love that the Father has for the Son, he also has for his disciples. In John 11, verses 3, 36, in chapter 20, verse 2, it speaks of uh, Jesus loving Lazarus and loving John the Evangelist. And you'll notice in those texts that it speaks of Jesus' special love for Lazarus. If, and his sisters say, Jesus, the one that you love is sick. Yeah, you love others, but here is someone, Lazarus, your friend, and he's sick and he's about to die. So they understand Jesus has a special love for Lazarus, but that's philia love, something that we would normally think is agape love. And the same thing with John the Evangelist. John describes himself in the Gospel of John as the one whom Jesus loves. The the beloved, the, the loved one. Of course, John knows that Jesus loves his other disciples, But he has taken on that uh, identity. I am loved by Jesus. And the one that is loved by Jesus is writing this gospel. But that's... The the word there that's used is philia. Now we come to the word agape. And sometimes this word is used to speak of (laughs) sinful love or disingenuous love. And remember, uh, the... Greek translate, the Old Testament was translated in Greek. And we call that a Septuagint. Okay. So these words appear not just in the New Testament, but also in the Old Testament when it's translated into Greek. In Genesis 34, verse 3, it speaks of Shechem's love for Dinah. And do you remember what happened to Dinah? She really wasn't loved. She was raped. But that's, Shechem just He's just head over heels for her. He just has to have her. 1 Samuel 16, verse 21, it says that Saul loves David. And if you were David, you'd say, well, you have a weird way of showing the love for me, trying to kill me, throw a spirit at me, keep going after my life. People who love one another don't do that. But that's a copy. Where in 2 Samuel 13, 1, 4, 15, it says Amnon loves Tamar. Remember that? Awful, tragic episode in, in that text. He doesn't love Tamar. He seduces her and forces her to lie with him. And that really wasn't, that wasn't love at all. And then he casts her aside. He used her, and he leaves her away. Leaves her aside. In 1 Kings 11:2 2, it speaks of Solomon's love for all of his wives. You're the only one for me. (laughs) And then he says, you're the only one for me. 700 wives, 300 concubines. You're the only one. You're one in a thousand. Okay. Solomon didn't have that love that we normally ascribe to agape for these, these women. And sometimes, so sometimes this word agape is used for sinful or disingenuous love or just Lust. And sometimes this word is used to speak of God's unconditional love for us. In John 3.35, it says that the Father loves the Son. Now, we already saw in John 5.20, philetto, it's used that the Father loves the Son. Here, we have this agape love that the Father loves his Son. And in John 14.31, the Son loves the Father. So, the, the Father and the Son share this agape love for one another. Just like they share this philo love for one another. In John 11, verse 5, it says that Jesus loves Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. But you also should note that in John eleven thirty six, 36, it also has phileo for Lazarus. So in, in the same chapter, it uses phileo and it uses agape or agapao to speak of Jesus' love for Mary, Martha, Lazarus. Sometimes this word is used for the love that we are to have for God and each other. Ephesians 5 25, for instance. Husbands are supposed to love their wives. How? As Christ loves the church. We're to demonstrate that unconditional love for our wives because of Christ's unconditional love for his bride, the church. In, John, in 1 John 4, 10 and 11, We are exhorted to love one another, the brothers and sisters, to love one another because of God's love for us. God's love for us is the foundation and the motive for loving one another. And that's agape. Okay? Now this is just a sample of the uses of philia and agape, or phileo and agapao, the, the verse. What conclusion? What conclusions can we come to just after this brief study of love?
1: Because
2: well, they're both used for both negative, not good love, and then real,
0: yes. genuine love. <laughs> both, are. both. Are. I'm glad you see that.
1: Yeah, but that's confusing.
0: Well, I
2: guess one thing we can draw is it's not so much our love, but what the object of our love is. Are we loving something that's good or something that's wicked?
0: Okay. So the object is a piece? Yeah. Yes.
1: We also see that, uh, I mean, this is what uh, you are kind of hinting at at least, disorder. Uh, uh, so each of these loves can be disordered, uh, even though there's a right and proper uh, use uh, and direction that we see purpose in the Scripture. Uh, each of these have been distorted by mm. sin,
0: yeah. and disordered rather than the ordered nature of God. So. Yeah. Sin has that distorting effect, disordering effect. The well, major thing they're I wanted to they are not exclusive either. They're not exclusive, as in you could you can have either both, I mean, you know, one or, or both of these. Well, uh, I mean, obviously you would hope a man and a woman
3: uh, have heroes. Uh, sure. Right. Yeah. Otherwise, that's a significant part of, a, of what a marriage is. Yeah. One of the main purposes of a marriage, but you would also hope that they would have some sort of uh, the other aspects of love. -hmm. It's not just one aspect that C.S. Lewis is trying to talk about
0: the four lovers.
3: And I'm sure I did not read the book, obviously, but uh, they're not. He's trying to describe four aspects of a single concept. Not different types. You know, there's types of it, which is demonstrated, but it's it's all really, I think, you wrap it into one concept of love one word for it in the right. translation. Right, we do. Mm-hmm. You know, <clears throat> so they're not exclusive when you think about the four loves of each other. You can have familial love and also uh, Some kind of unconditional a, love. Or an unconditional yeah. love. You know, I love my grandson love my children
1: and I love them unconditionally so and one more thing I'll say is like this is the fundamental way that we relate to one another Uh, and there's Mm -hmm. love uh, regardless of how that plays out love the self in a relationship or uh, Mm -hmm. love Uh, it's typically some mixture of uh, both things but this is like our MO Sure. Yeah. Reflecting
0: God, of course, yeah. and the Trinity. One of the things with that exercise, with this exercise, that I wanted to communicate was: uh, don't just assume what the word, and when it's translated into English, what that is communicating when you come to it. Don't just uh, import, you know, one particular set meaning. Well, the Greek says it's agape. And so it has to be this unconditional love. When we talk about Bible interpretation, we say context is keen. Of course, that's, that, that's, that's helpful for, you know, interpreting love because we have to interpret things in context, in the relationship to words and um, history and society and archaeology and just relationships and all that. So when you come to uh, the word you know, phileo or acapao. A- let, the, let the context show you. Don't be so focused. That, well, it has to mean this. What I'm saying is, the authors were, uh, John in particular, was content with using both of these terms synonymously. You know? So it's over-reading when you say, oh, it, it says the father phileo is a son, means he has some lower level version of love for the sun. What's going on? Is there a break in the trinity here? Is, no, okay, we don't need to say that. Or we, we go to um, Ammon's love for Tamar and it's a agape. Wow, so he really didn't abuse her. He had unconditional love for her. Wow, I misread the story the entire time. Because you're basing it on you're putting too much weight you know, a set definition of love in a particular mm-hmm. verse. Right. So you're also saying that there's no hierarchy of, of, of the four loves, as you said Yes. The class, there's no hierarchy of love, necessarily. Correct. Okay, so what love is not? And I have four answers to this question, what are some common misconceptions about love? But, I don't want to give them to you yet. I want to hear what you think and you might actually hit these that I, that I have here. And I think we could say a lot of things that love is not. So I'm not restricting the answers to four, but I want to hear what you guys have to say. What are some common misconceptions about love? Acceptance slash tolerance. Acceptance slash tolerance. So if, I think if you love me, you're going to accept and tolerate anything and everything I, anything do. And everything I do and say.
1: Especially today in our culture. Yeah. That seems to be, you know, if you're not accepting, well then you're not loving. Yeah. And that's a an accusation specifically thrown at Christians. Oh, sure. You're not you're not being loving, you know, Jesus says to love everyone and you're not loving if you're not accepting this lifestyle or right. this sin. Okay. So we're saying
0: love is is not tolerance and blind acceptance. Even though the world is, is, is saying, Yeah, this is if you love me, you're gonna accept me for ruin, for, for what I've done, the choices I've made. I don't I don't want you to argue with me, I want you to support me. Mm-hmm. Okay. I told you all this not for you to change your mind, but to support me in what I have already decided. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can ask, what else? Permanent, unchanging. Okay. Uh, it's permanent, unchanging. This is this is a, a misconception that you're saying. Is. Yes. A, that, number one, that's
3: permanent. Because yeah, as, you know, as Liz, Elizabeth just stated, basically, uh, you could love someone and then that they're actions and activities, whatever they're doing, lead you to say, I cannot, I cannot, I do not condone this. And they, so therefore my love for you as I, that I felt at first is changing. I still have, uh, you know, filial, basically, you know,
0: brotherly love for you.
3: I care about you, but I am not going to accept you. And I, you know, and I don't want you in my life now because of the things that you're doing. Mm. You know, so there's, you know, it's part of life, basically. When you first fall in love with someone, when you first meet someone, when you're first involved, you know the, the emotions are yeah. very strong. But over time, those emotions don't last, and the, the, the love has to mature and become something greater
0: or lesser. Yeah, there's this idea also that you you can fall into love with someone and then you fall out of it, and you know, 15-20 years later into marriage. You say well, why are you guys getting divorced? I oh, I just fell out of love for him. I just fell out of love for one another. Just so you know, Jesus did not give that as a ground for divorce. He <coughs> the two grounds, he Fell out of love. <laughs> <laughs> right? Jefferson might have had it in his Bible. Though I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what else? Well, love is not, but it's a misconception of what love is.
2: Well, one that we see in our culture is love is a feeling which has no mm-hmm. obligations that come with it. So, like a woman who a couple of years ago published an article saying, I still love my husband, but I'm divorcing him. Yeah. You know, like I can love him, but there's no commitment or obligations that are expected of me because of
1: it. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I want to go back, I want to come back to that in just a moment. Love is a Feeling. Is that a song? Love is a Feeling. Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> I'm sure. You guys shot me down like that. As if you know all the songs about love. There's a lot of lovers argue.
1: What was that? There's more than a Letting someone fall and make bad decisions, especially repeatedly, and never speaking up. If Mm -hmm. I really love someone and I see them making bad choices, Mm -hmm. I'm going to tell them, I'm at least going to tell them you're screwing up and you need to Mm -hmm. get yourself back on the right track
0: and try and help them where I can. I think if you truly
1: love someone, you're willing to speak up and tell them when they're doing something
0: wrong. So, uh, according to the world, a misconception. Love is that it doesn't confront. It's it's not it's not speaking the truth in love. It's not speaking the truth. It's just it's permissive. It's allowing uh, that person's choices to run their course. Uh, Yeah, as we're going to read this morning in scripture reading, Matthew eighteen talks about uh, showing your brother how he has sinned against you. And in some people's minds today. We really love someone, we're not going to do that. We're just going to bury it and then become bitter because of it. This is perhaps a little close to uh, no
1: obligation, but like, love is cheap. Cheap? Uh, yeah, it's, it's easy to come by, uh, easy to give. We kind of treat it in a trite way. I think sometimes it's the way we use love. Like, yep. Yeah. I love, you know, my Starbucks. But, <laughs> you know, like, you know, people. want well, to go ahead and boldly confront you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, oh, we will go to the scripture here. Um, but, you know, just, I mean, our language, but then that's also, uh, that's porous into relationships as well. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. <clears throat> well, I think an obvious one is um, love is not lust. I think.
1: The idea
0: that simply lust or attraction is love. Yeah. And we see that with uh, again Shechem and Dinah and Ammon and Tamar. That wasn't that wasn't love. That was lust. It was this strong passion for some object that had to have it. Physical attraction. Physical attraction, yeah. And because of that, and this gets into our own cultural engagement, when homosexual couples say that they love each other, we don't actually grant that. Now, we we can't grant that because true love is expressed um, biblically. And the Bible does not condone that relationship. And so, yes, they have strong attractions for one another. They even want to support one another in their living and as a team, you know, do life together. But that's not real love. Uh, They might have some earthly semblance of companionship, but true love is marked by the Bible. And you can't call what God says uh, that is to be condemned, (laughs) that is a denial of the creation order and how a person is designed you can't call that love, even if you want to. Uh, so we, we don't grant that point. We might use it as, a, as an opportunity to interact with someone, uh, strong affections, and might use that as a common ground point uh, to have more conversation. But you know we don't we don't grant it really. We don't say yeah I know you love him. Uh, let me show you a greater love. Sorry, the last thing
1: uh, I'll put on there is love is not self. Love is not self. So there's a presupposition, I think, in Scripture that love means relationship. Uh, and so, yes. yeah, I'm not talking about, you know, taking care of yourself, etc., but, like, it presupposes that there's another party involved yes. in order to give love. So. Yes. Well, I think also that... Process from
3: modern times now is that we're well not modernized, but it's uh, that uh, love is love will make you happy, right? Love is going to cure things in your life somehow, right? That uh, it's going to make it better. It doesn't always make it better.
0: There's a lot of heartache that comes with love. Yeah, especially when you know that love is not self. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's Involvement with the life of another. What was that?
2: It is self-sacrificing. Yeah,
0: we're gonna talk about what love is. Oh, sorry. Come on. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, sorry, sorry. Keith, Keith in the, the very nature of what you're saying, love will make you happy. The focus is on self. Right. right. Yeah, and uh, right. And, and I've had several young soldiers, uh, you know, talk about marriage with them, and well, isn't marriage to make you happy? Mm-hmm. My. Own. <laughs> <laughs> if by that you mean happy in
0: Jesus because He is using this per- this person as a means for your own sanctification, then yes. Sanctification. Big favor. Try not <laughs> to. <try. laughs> I, I, I shared this I mean, once or twice. That there was this one couple uh, that I was doing premarital <coughs> counseling for, and I asked. I always ask the couple. Why do you want to marry him or why do you want to marry her? And he said, because I want to be more like Jesus. Uh, and he he said, I want to grow to be more like the Lord. And so I know that the Lord is gonna put has put her in my life that I can be more like him. Uh, so he was his major focus was his own sanctification. And I said, You're the first one who's ever answered the question that way. And that's a good answer. <laughs> so what love is not, uh, you guys have hit on a lot of stuff that I have here. Um uh, I put, it's, it, love is not mostly or exclusively felt. So common misconception that it's, um, it's felt. Love is a feeling. Now I say love is not mostly or exclusively felt. Here we have this head and heart distinction. And I'm sorry, here's the second, here's the second bubble I'm bursting, okay? Get out of your mind. Get out of your heart. And by that I mean the same thing. This head-heart distinction. I have this knowledge. I don't have feeling. Okay? No. The Bible does not know that distinction. So stop. <coughs> it. Cut it out. You're done. When the Bible uses the word heart, it refers to the threefold aspect of the heart. The cognition, the affection, and the volition. The cognition, those are your thoughts. And the affection, those are your values, those are your desires, those are your loves. And then the volition, that's your will, that's your act, what you incline to. Towards. And the unified heart has all three of those aspects working in unison with one another. Because I know the truth, uh, that truth actually has this feeling, this affection, this love, and then I act in accordance with it. So we talked about love being an action. And, um, and yeah, so it's an action, it's a commitment. That's an act of the will. But it's not uh, It's not just a feeling, it's not even exclusively a feeling, though love is a feeling. That is to say, your feelings should be affected when you say you love someone or something. There should be affection. There should be. Because you're not, uh, you shouldn't have a divided heart. You are to love the Lord with all your heart. And by that, he's not saying simply, love me with what's in your mind. Okay, or just love me with the things that you do. Love me with your affections as well. Have all the feels, all the right feels, because you have the right knowledge, and then you will uh, have the right action. So, we, we are right to push back when someone basically reduces love to a feeling, but we are wrong to say that there's no feeling at all when it comes to love. There ought to be affections. Because... That's who we are. Human beings have that cognition, affection, and volition. Uh, love is not natural. Okay? So if we're talking about the biblical conception of love, and this, this we'll get into what love is, but it is not natural. There are uh, affinities that we have for one another. Um, there are easier relationships that we have, you know, common ground and things that are uh, in, that we, mutual interests, okay? So we like to spend more time with, what, with one another or because, hey, this person came out of my womb uh, or I, I uh, um, was useful in the creation of this individual. So there are those natural affections uh, that you don't have for someone else who's not your own or for friends who uh, aren't friends of another person. But love, biblically speaking, is not natural per se, Okay? more on that in a moment what love is not it's not God okay it's, here is Ambiki uh, in his book uh, speaks about the error of deifying love the Bible says God is love but not love is God what's the difference between that God is love versus love is God yes God is love what what are people communicating when they say love is God? You know, oh, Oprah Winfrey is one one of them. You can't just reverse it. You say God is love. You can't say love is God.
3: Well, if John were here, she could tell you the you know how the sentence is structured. <laughs> 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 and <laughs> <laughs> but the, the, the idea then, you're putting
1: the, the subject basically, the object in, in reverse mm-hmm. order,
3: which changes the entire meaning. Mm. God is love, I mean, God is, is this great, the greatest entity, right? Whereas love then is God. Now, mm. love is the greatest entity and not God. Uh, right. And subjective. subjective subject. To yeah. How? The, the feeling of love.
0: However you wanna define love. Yeah. Which is idolatry. Which is idolatry, yes. Joseph, you want it on this action? The and subject
2: the, and the object. Yeah. Thing, right? and, yes. <laughs> and we definitely see this in the culture because if love becomes your God, the moment you appear out of love with like your spouse, mm-hmm. you can justify divorcing them. But the moment you feel out of love with your family, you can justify cutting them off because, oh, you don't love them anymore, and love is your God. Right. right. Mm-hmm.
3: Also, it implies that God will always act in whatever you feel is a loving manner. Yes. God is... God is subject to your own... ...subject mm-hmm. to how you look. So because God, uh, you know, he loved Sodom and Gomorrah, But he destroyed them. He loved the people. He destroyed them because they were wicked in his sight. Doesn't mean that you know that God won't punish you even though He loves you. You do it with your children, right? Why wouldn't He do it with us? True. So, wait a
0: minute, you Oprah is incorrect here? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. <yeah, sorry. laughs> We've already had one disagreement earlier about (laughs) Starbucks and and, now we have Globra and (laughs) Two Strikes. Another, what love is not, is romantic compatibility. Uh, And if love were exclusively or primarily romantic compatibility, then that's when you have all, that's when you have the importance of all those personality tests. Okay? Uh, And some people will say, well, I don't, I don't know what these numbers mean. I, I could not tell you, but you know, I'm a four on the Enneagram, and, and she's a nine, and we're just not compatible. So there's really nothing. Uh, that We're just not a match made in heaven. It's not going to work. Um, but, oh, she's, you know, he's a six, and, and I'm a three. I don't even know if that would be compatible. Okay? <laughs> so I, I, don't, I don't know all those, though I do have legitimate concerns uh, regarding the Enneagram. But, but there are many other personality tests. That try to bring you together and say, "Well, you are compatible; therefore, you're the best. There's the best possibility for love to be demonstrated here. Love is not romantic compatibility. You guys, if you got married, you have had to learn to be flexible and to, to give and to take, and and yeah, there's some initial compatibility. You, you get along well, or you love to." You like some of the same things, but the other things you don't share or, or some things that might annoy you or you be annoying to them. So it's not like uh, you have to have all that compatibility exactly right in order for a marriage, for instance, to, to work out or, or a friendship to work out. Uh, it's, love is not just restricted to, yeah, we're compatible as friends, as, as, uh, as um, father and son, as mother and daughter, as husband and wife. Compatibility itself is not the, the glue. Uh, it's not the essence of love. Nor is love... Sorry, third bubble to burst. And you know, we, this could be a whole lesson. And there's a great article by David Pallison as well. But love is not five languages. <laughs> Ouch, I know. You guys are familiar with the five love languages, right? Mm. And these are ways that we prefer to express love and... Way that we prefer to be loved, okay? The way we love, we prefer to love, and the way we want to receive love. And you know, if I believed in that fivefold theory, if you will, then I would say, well, yeah, I, my expression of love is is giving gifts. I love receiving gifts. I love, good, I love gifts. Okay, give me another book. I'm all about it. Give me Starbucks gift card. Okay, if we had Bros, that, that would be. It. <laughs> Or you know, words of affirmation, uh, quality time. Yes, I, th- I think all of us love all of these things, and we want to express love in these ways. But we are myopic, uh, we are um, restrictive by saying that love is only one of these for, for him or for her. And you just have to figure out how he wants to be loved, how she wants to be loved. And then once you figure that out, you're gonna be you know, on the road to success. But here's a problem. Uh, and I think it's David Pallison or Ed Welch, one of them wrote, love is more than five languages. Okay? That's too restrictive. It's too narrow. But more than that, is, again, the focus is on the self. I want words of affirmation for crying out loud. That's how I am to be loved. And when you don't get that, when you do not give that to me, you're not loving me, now I have a problem. So, Now that focus is on how I am to be treated. Should we give words of affirmation? Yeah. Should we give gifts to people? Yeah. Should we spend quality time with people? Absolutely. Those are good expressions of love. But when you're not getting those things, and you say, that's the dominant language that I read, that I speak in this relationship, well, that's a big problem. Because everyone is gonna let you down. Your spouse is not going to give all the words of affirmation that you want her to give. Your spouse is not going to give you all the gifts that you want him to give you. And certainly, the spouse is not going to spend as much time as you want with that individual. We all let each other down. Or we have the potential to let each other down all the time. So love is not five languages, it's more than that. It's different from that. So what is love? Uh, This is the bottom of your handout there. Well, in a word, it is in the following verses in in 1 Corinthians 13, which I read. That's what we're going to be looking at this entire study. Love is patient and kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not arrogant. It is not rude. It does not insist on its own ways. We're going to look at all of those, um, about what love is. But we also have to know. Uh, just some other categories here. Love is essential to God. It is, it is His essence. God is love. First John 4 8, 16. Now, there's another bubble to burst. This is number four, isn't it? I told you I was going to burst some bubbles today. God is not primarily love. So people will take 1 John 4 eight and say, it says God is love. Therefore, that's his dominant attribute. That's the, that's the attribute that moves him above any other attribute. And this is wrong kind of thinking. This is denying what's called the simplicity of God. God is a simple being. Now, that's not to say it, he's very easy to understand, okay, but he is not composed of any parts, okay, he's not com- he's, you can't just take this part and that part and over there and you then bring him together, that's God, so he's a little bit of love, he's, he's a lot of love, uh, a little bit of justice, uh, a little patience and all these combine <coughs> to who God is, God is eternally and infinitely all that he is, he doesn't. Uh, he's not more loving than he is just. Okay. He's not. Uh, he's not less wrathful than he is patient. He is perfectly, infinitely, eternally all that he is. There is not one attribute that dominates, that overrides, or that uh, rules over all the others. But that's a mistake that. Too many Christians make, and sadly, this simplicity of God is a doctrine of God that has been attacked over the last number of uh, decades, and it is sad. And, and even some in our own reformed camp have attacked His uh, God's simplicity. Well, He describes Himself as "I am," that's it. In other words, I, I have been,
3: I am presently, and I always will be. Uh huh. And then you can put all the different, as we're trying to describe, basically God. We talk about you know just just an aspect of God. Yeah. But he is you can say, he's holy. He's righteous. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He's, right. And you as you go on and on and on. But all those are just parts of a whole. And there's no, as we said, with love, you know, for the four descriptive words of love, there's no hierarchical. Status, right. So there's no hierarchical status to however you want to try words
0: you want to try to use to describe an aspect of God. Yeah. So here's one issue with saying that one attribute uh, dominates the others, or He's more of one attribute than He is of the others. If if He is say more loving than He is just, that means He has some room to grow as far as His justice is concerned. He's not as just as he, as he can be. Maybe he's working his way to maximize his justice. And so he's not perfect, he's not infinite in his justice. He's, he's growing, he's a God in process. And again, that's called process theology, God in process. He's growing, he's learning, he's interacting with people, and so as uh, he's taking his own providential punches, you know, and he's, bent, he's bending his will in part to the wills of his creation. You're putting a limit. Yes, but God is, again, infinitely, perfectly, all that he is, whatever the Bible describes, however the Bible describes with God, he is that with um, the highest level, if you will. Okay, There's no room to grow. He is perfect, and he's eternal. (coughs) So love is harmonious with God's other attributes, Love jives well with his justice, with his hatred, with his wrath, with his goodness, with his patience. Love is not in conflict with any of these. In fact, he is wrathful because of his love. Because of his love for his own justice, because because of his holiness, he demonstrates his wrath. Love is eternal and infinite. That is to say, he is always, and without limits, love. Love is supernatural. So I told you love is not natural. If we're, we're talking about the biblical conception of love, it's also fruit of the Spirit, right? And Jesus tells us to love one another. Jesus tells us to love our enemies. And you don't do that on your own. You can't muster that love for a person. It has to come from outside yourself. It has to come from above. It has to be supernatural. It is a gift from God to you and that tells us it's, it's not coming from within. It's coming from without. It is supernatural. And it is also grounded in the gospel. God is love. And he demonstrates that love through the gospel. Jesus Christ. All of the descriptions of love in 1 Corinthians 13, patient, kind, doesn't envy, doesn't boast, and on and on. These are all grounded in Jesus Christ. They are all exemplified in Jesus Christ. If you want to know what love looks like, you look at Jesus. Right? And so, yes, we are to demonstrate love. There's the imperative, the command to love. That was a long (laughs) bell. Yes, we are to show love, but only because of God's love for us, because of the indicative, that foundation. God loves us, we are first loved by God, and then we love. So this is why we begin. This is why we will end with uh, the series with God. You see, the very end of the series is on trying love. Love the Father. Love the Son. Love the Holy Spirit. And so here's your working definition. This does not apply to say loving the Giants or loving black and uh, chicken Alfredo. Okay, those don't count within this definition. The working definition and and carry, uh, was on to something here. This is just my own conception that I've, from my own reading of Scripture and system theology, yes, it's a working definition, so we can improve upon this. It's not the end-all, be-all, but here it is. The giving of oneself for the good and the delight of another. The giving of oneself for the good and the delight of another. And my proof text for that is John 3, 16 which I don't think I need to tell you what it says. Okay? Let's pray. Our loving God, we thank you for the opportunity this morning to begin this series in 1 Corinthians 13. Help us, Lord, to study the topic of love. Help us to reflect upon the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, who is love. And then help us, Lord, also to love one another as Christ has loved the church and to love our enemies as well, even as Christ has loved us who were formerly his enemies and he has made us his friends and his own beloved. We thank you, Lord, for the time. Pray that you would prepare our hearts for worship now that we would worship our great triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.